Welcome to TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech each week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh81. We have three hosts this week. I'm Leo Notenboom, lover of coffee, corgis, computer, computers, not always in that order. And the Leo behind askleo.com. I'm Kevin Savitz. I really hate coffee uh, and not, not too fond of computers real often, actually. <laughs> so corgis are nice. though. <laughs> and I'm Gary Rosenzweig. And let's see, I, I like coffee, but I drink decaf because caffeine gets me like edgy. So, uh, you know, but I love computers and uh, I'm more partial to uh, foxhounds, but corgis are great too. <laughs> so. Well, there you go. So now we yeah. know it. So Kevin, you got another dog, right? Yes, we have a new dog. Did I, I haven't talked about this? I don't think so. No, no, no. We have a, a new dog. Uh, his name is Truman. He is a, a, a Australian Labradoodle. He is three months old. He is adorably cute, and uh, he is. Uh, that's all I can say. He's just adorably cute. He's he's still a pup, and uh, still potty training. And even when when you remember to to take him out and, and he pees outside like a good boy, like a good boy he is. Um, he will still, you can go away for, for an hour and you can come back and then he'll be so excited. He'll just pee himself out of just joy. So uh, it's been hard to get any work done or anything unpacked or anything because it's just constant vigilance at watching the dog and uh, trying to keep him from destroying everything with urine. <laughs> you're in watch 24 7 here yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna be honest about the way things are going and there's the episode title you're in <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah he's uh he's super sweet he gets along with the other dog uh, uh Gigi, uh who is, is a pug who's about 10 10 or 11 months now they they play wrestle all the time um they just love each other uh from from the get-go from the moment they met and they just run around and play bitey face and uh, run up and down the hallways and just play and play and play and play and play. Cool. Yeah. Well, ours, I've, as I mentioned before we started recording, we started a few minutes late because we had a little altercation here. I'm fostering a dog for a few days and uh, said it's dinner time and corgis are incredibly food motivated and perhaps even somewhat possessive about it. So uh, dog A and dog B decided to, uh, to have it out. Mm. And uh, a little blood was shared, or sh- shed. Um, a, f- a few <laughs> curse words were uttered, both by the dogs and by the humans involved. And uh, they're uh, they're being separated for their meal as we speak. Mm. So, but yeah, yeah, we've been trying to teach these the uh, Gigi and Truman to eat. You know, they eat, they get their food. You you uh, feed them both, and then. Uh, in in the best of in best cases, they they basically they eat a few bites and then they trade off. They just like switch like three or four or five times during their meal. They just right. switch bowls, right? And that's cute to watch and stuff. Um, we have the same thing. We you know we feed our three normally, and as soon as they're done, they'll all go check the other bowls. So mm-hmm. they basically rotate around these three bowls about three or four times. <laughs> make sure that the other ones didn't leave a molecule behind. Sure. Yeah. It's the same thing here, except um, Truman eats faster than Gigi because, I mean, Gigi, her face is all flat. And it's, 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 <laughs> it's just harder work. 
harder, harder work. So yeah, Truman just you know, wolfs down his food, as it were, and then wants in on, on Gigi's action. And it's like, nope, you know, so that's another thing. It requires constant dog vigilance as you kind of stand there as like a referee between the, the, uh, the food bowls. It's like, you eat, you eat. Okay. Do not pass this line until Gigi finishes. You know, now wrestling time may begin. Go. <laughs> fun. Yep. Fun, fun, fun. So, Gary, any news on all the Apple stuff from the last week? Do you like what? your new iPhone? Yeah, I got the uh, iPhone 11 Pro Max, which is a mouthful to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, the cameras are, you know, what I really want is cameras, right? That's why I got the, the Pro, and the cameras are great. Uh, I'm, I didn't think I'd care much about the ultra-wide lens, and uh, but you could already have taken panos, but I didn't realize how much of a like a chore it is to take a pano until now I have an ultra wide lens and now I can just take it in one shot. Um, it, it is really nice uh, having that ultra wide. And I was able to take some beautiful pictures over the last few days uh, around the neighborhood um, that I never even thought of. You, like your whole frame of reference of like, well, this is what the photo is going to look like. It's going to go from here to here. But now with ultra wide, um, you know, it's, it just takes in so much of the scene that it creates some different types of shots. And the other um, cool thing about it is the night mode, which a lot of people are talking about. Uh, that's really cool. Um, and I actually just, I didn't think much of it. I took like one picture at night, the first night I had it, I posted it on Instagram. And then I had a bunch of people say, whoa, that looks amazing. And I looked at it and I was like, mm, I hadn't thought about that. It actually does look kind of amazing uh, that I took this picture of like the street at night and you know, lights and stores and stuff. And it, it looked really good. So then I started experimenting with it and it's kind of neat tech because it's uh, what it does is it, it takes it kind of a, a fake long exposure. You know, it looks like it's taking a long exposure shot. What it's actually doing is taking a whole series of photos, which is different than a, a long exposure, but it'll do like three seconds say, um, and it'll like fill the photo in over three seconds. Like it's a long exposure. But, of course, it's doing image stabilization. So you're doing a long exposure with, you know, handheld without it being on a tripod. And it holds everything steady, even though you're holding it in your hand and it's obviously not steady. And the other thing it does, which I didn't even notice the first time, is it won't cause trails or streaks for things. Like, for instance, you take a picture and there are cars in it moving around at night. You do a three-second exposure on a camera, you're going to get a blur where the car is. And of course the headlights are going to be like these little trails across the picture. Night mode doesn't do that. Night mode will grab that part of the image in one shot. And then you end up with the car actually just being there with the headlights being normal. How does it adjust it the, the rest? How does it adjust the exposure for that car then? It's, it's just taking many shots and then combining them together based on some really deep, like machine learning, artificial intelligence stuff. Right, but if it's combining them, you'd think that that would, would result in a move. Yeah, it doesn't. Very bizarre. Okay. It, it, as a matter of fact, as you take the, it, it, you know, as you take it, so you hold down the shutter button, or you, you tap the shutter, and it's going to be a three-second exposure. So you tap it, and a car that's moving by will freeze as you're watching it. The car freezes. The car, meanwhile, is still moving. You can see it in your eye, but the rest of the photo is filling in. So like the background and the dark parts are filling in during those three seconds while the car zip is out of the frame. It's really neat and it takes really cool photos. So 
that's kind of neat. And I have to retrain myself into thinking, you know, at night walking around that, you know, I can't really take any photos because it's dark out. Uh, but now I can apparently. Um, so anyway, that's cool. And you know, the rest of the phones pretty cool too. I mean, it's, you know, the top, top of the line kind of thing, OLED screen and, I got the Mac, so it's like really big and all and uh, has other features I hope to never use like shock resistance and water resistance <laughs> <laughs> and uh, things like that. So, so yeah. And we're back to our uh, article title. What? Our po- a podcast title. Yeah, you're in watch. You're in watch, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. It says water hey, resistance. That's where my, that's where my, water last, that's say, where my like, last phone went. Oh that's, yeah, that's, it, it got it got wet, and I'll you know it got wet in the in the obvious way, and ended up having to replace it. So, hmm. yeah, well, that's why I don't put it in your shirt pocket. I don't anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but you mentioned Gary. As long as we're talking phones, you before we started recording, you started talking to me. You've been having fun with uh, Game Center. Right. Oh, uh, oh, uh, Apple Arcade. Apple Arcade, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of out. I mean, so you know, Apple Arcade is going to be on four systems, right? Mac, uh, iOS, Apple TV, and uh, oh, an iPad too. You know, iPhone and iPad. But for now, it's only you need you need iOS thirteen to run it. So it's iPhone and iPad only. Actually, yeah, I think I guess because I have the beta of iOS thirteen point one on the iPad is why I have it. Not on Apple TV yet, not on the Mac yet, because Catalina isn't out. But you know, within a few weeks, it'll be everywhere. But I've been playing the games on my iPad and uh, with the controller. I have a Bluetooth controller, so uh, playing it arcade style, and uh, I love it. It's um, you know, this odd collection of games that really seem to be very—I don't know how to describe it—like joyful, like kind of like fun experiences to play you know they're not hardcore you know uh post-apocalyptic shoot 'em up type things they're so not they're not for real gamers is what you're saying yeah they're not uh but they're not like match three games you know where he's like you know, i hate that it's like no matter what oh here's a game where you could you know become emperor rule the world blah 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 and then you go in there and it's like move the gems to match three <laughs> like oh no that's the same as every other game they're not gems they're crown jewels crown, whatever yeah they're, <laughs> ugh, i hate it but these are just kind of like fun weird experimental interesting like the closest genre would be indie games you know, if you've gone to like game developer conferences in the last 10 years and or whatever, you know, the indie game world where there was just really creative, interesting things. These are all kind of like that. So, you know, not everyone's going to appeal to everybody, but uh, there, I counted 64 games. There's supposed to be 100 by the end of the year. Um, and, uh, you know, you just pay five bucks a month and you just get to play as much as you want. It, it was a lot of fun. I Do you think that the... For for developer right now, as you know, the the, the game landscape has kind of been twilt, uh, twilted, uh, tilted towards uh, free to play and very ad heavy games, and and just uh, just a way to show banner ads, and 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 this could could potentially tilt the 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 play field back towards games that are don't have to be monetized for the for the purpose of you know you don't have to buy gems to get to the next level or you don't even have to be distracted with ads and stuff so is this going to make games better tell me yes yes i think and I, not only do i think it will i think it's the whole purpose here 
I mean, I think it's why. And it's, you know, Apple's just the first to jump here. I think Google is also launching one or just did or something, a kind of Netflix model arcade type of thing. And there'll be others as well. And I think the whole idea here is uh, the industry knows there's a problem. It knows there was a race to the bottom for price and in-app purchases and all that stuff. And that gameplay has suffered. And this is a way out. This definitely makes you think as a game designer differently. You want people to see your game and say, oh, I want to try that. Um, not have to go and think about a price. Well, I want to try it and it costs this much or whatever. It's like, I already subscribed. I just have to choose which game I'm playing next. This one seems good. I'm going to try it. And then the idea would be that the game would be good enough to make you come back and keep playing um, and not just take your money and then not care you know like because the game the old model you know pay 50 bucks or whatever get a game it's like the game developer didn't really care too much whether or not you played it for a week or three months because they got the got your money but this model definitely they have to care you know they make something that makes you download it once and play it once they're not going to get uh any money for it but if you come back over and over again then they'll do pretty well all right so yeah, so I'm Hope hopeful. So. Yeah, yeah. I think I, you know, I'm not that as a game developer. I don't do too much game development anymore. It, it doesn't. It does bother me that it's still kind of a somewhat big studio kind of thing. Like, you know, the app, the app uh, environment changed things for a bit and allowed solo developers like myself to actually enter the market. But having a limit of say about a hundred games in Apple arcade and maybe Google's got a hundred here and there's maybe an Xbox 100 or something that is like limited shelf space that goes back to the nineties where you bought games at Best Buy and there was only space for so many games and had to have a publisher that would get you into the stores. Um, So this unfortunately is going to be like that. You have to impress Apple and know somebody at Apple and network and do all that and create you know get funding to create a demo to impress apple to maybe get on the schedule to get into apple arcade i'm sure that's how it works so if you're just an indie developer or you know a group of college students with a great idea but no money you don't have much of a chance which was you know how it was in the 90s and uh, it's probably how it's going to be again so i don't know anyway I wonder if they're going to have like a um, a bargain bin. <clears throat> well, like, it's it's a it's a paper. I understand. I understand. Thing. But like you know, here's here's the hundred games that you know we're currently supporting, and, and it's wonderful, yeah. and they're all good. And by the way, you know, here's this other bin over here of of stuff that isn't so good. But what the heck? Yeah, a part of me says no. Don't do that. Have a nicely curated set of games, you know, and actually pull games out from time to time. You know, like Netflix kind of does, but TV shows, you know, okay, we're not going to pay for this thing. But when it it comes to games, that's problematic because people invest in games, right? I mean, they, depending on the game, of course, but you can build up stats or assets or any of that kind of stuff, right? And if all of a sudden one day you find out that your game is gone. But it won't be gone because you've already added it. You see what I'm saying? It's just not in the store anymore. Like right now, if you, if just before all this, the app stores, both for Android and for Apple, if it, if something, an app comes out of the store, but you already have it, you have it, right? 
Mm-hmm. And they're even, uh, you know, even if it's been pulled out for sale, you could a lot of times still get it. I think a model where, okay, if you get a game, it's one of the 100 games, you still have it. You'll always have it. But it's maybe not available for new players. Are any of these games multiplayer? Yes, a lot of them are. So I got a game and I want my friend to play it who doesn't have it. Yeah. But it's not in the store anymore. Well, yeah. Well, it's not perfect. <laughs> but but, but it's I, Apple. I thought Apple was always perfect. Yeah. The, no. So the part of the problem is like with Xbox Live Arcade, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can go, there's so much stuff. Oh, of course. So you go to look, oh, what's about? And then the app stores, of course, there's hundreds of thousands of games. There's so much stuff. And it, you end up with paralysis. I'm going to play a new game. I don't know what to play. With 100 games, it, it really feels like, okay, I could find something. I have a list of 100 games. I could find something that fits my mood right now. and I'll start playing it. And I don't feel that paralysis where the, the list but, is endless. But, but, but. <laughs> yeah. How is we only have 100 games to choose from any different than saying, here are the top 100 games to choose from. Because you still, you then you sort by category. So you have 100 strategy games, 100 this, you know, and, and it multiplies really no, easily. No, it doesn't have to, right? I mean, uh-huh. you could say, here are the top 100 games. Sort them, view them, however you want to do. Oh, you want to look at the next 100? Sure, they're still here. The next 100, the next 10,000? Sure, they're all still here if you want to invest. The well, time. plus, okay, how about from a developer standpoint? If there are, say, thousands of games available, and everybody's money is split up, you know, because I'm playing game 698 that I discovered or whatever from a tweet. Right. And very few people are playing 698 because it's not in the top 100 or whatever. And you're playing game 73, but, for, you know, there's fewer people there because there's thousands of games. But how does any one developer make enough money to make it worthwhile to develop a game? You've cut, cut it up too thin. You slice the bread too thin. I, I still think that, I mean, I say top 100 because that's what we have today. But in reality, it could just as easily be, here are the 100 Apple recommended or Apple curated games. In other words, whatever yeah. the criteria are today that you're, you're, you're saying are going to get it into the store for the only 100, those same criteria still apply. It's just the other list is still around. But then why would you, the other list, I mean, the developer can't possibly make enough money unless they actually make it into the top 100. So what was of the course, point? which is exactly the same as what, what Apple seems to be moving to, right? The developer can't make any money unless they manage to get on the top, on this 100 list that they're So then why with. would you, I mean, it, I don't know. I just don't think economically you'd, you'd, you're going to end up with crappy games because the risk of not making the top 100 would already have crappy games. The thing that bothers me about the, this whole thing is I've been reading a lot lately about just situations where YouTube demonetizes a channel, and the, here's here's a channel that's got millions of viewers, and all of a sudden, uh, recently, uh, CGP Grey was locked out of his channel, and he got back in, but basically, YouTube thought that he was an imposter, and turned off his his source of income and his ability to upload load new videos, and and. It's just more of that situation of of giving your publishing power to another company that that can basically make or break you. You can make a a, a moderately decent game, and Apple can put it on the on the the, the featured page, and you can get a, a billion minutes of play, and and you know make payroll for the year. Or you could make a great game, and 
they could bury you and you get nothing. And that as a, as a, as a publisher, that sort of thing, I'm not even a game developer, but just as a publisher, that sort of thing right. worries the well, heck out of me. Well, so that would argue more, I think, towards the limited games, because I assume all these 100 games, you know, Apple has a relationship with them, just kind of like uh, Microsoft does with the Xbox Live system, where they only have yeah. a certain number of new games. So you feel better as, you know, you, you make your demo. Maybe you make your demo. You don't know if it's going to be Apple Arcade. You're thinking could be Nintendo Switch, could be Xbox. You know, one could be, you know, indie indie develop, developed and distributed online. You don't know yet, but you make your demo. You go, you do your dog and pony show. You, you know, Apple Arcade signs, signs you up. And now you know you're going to only be one out of 100 in, but, in that given time. So that, that contract that you sign yeah. that puts you in the 100, there's got to be a way for Apple to, at their, you know, at, at their you know, random desire kick you off the list in order to make room for somebody else that they sign Maybe. to a similar We contract. don't know what Apple's going to do. I mean, I'm just, I am just theorizing. I, I understand that. that, but if you've got a fixed list, either the list never changes because everybody else has contracts or their criteria for getting on and off in, in real time. Maybe there's and, a time limit. Maybe it's one year. Maybe it's six months. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That I would just, make sense. I mean, but I, I don't know for sure. I, with you know, it's with it being so new, we haven't gotten to the point where we find out what happens sure. when there are a hundred games and now there needs to be new games. hundred and one. Yep. Maybe what? maybe they do go to two hundred games and they just keep adding. Maybe they do go to a back back catalog, like you were saying. Maybe games do fall off um the list. I mean, yeah, games do have to retire and die, you know. Well, they do and they don't, right? I mean, people are playing games that are 15 and 20 years old. So just, just ask, oh, I don't know, Kevin. But yeah. the, the, the point is, the thing that made me think of it, of course, was your, your um, comparison to a retail stop, the old retail shop approach to this, where, yes, there were obviously always, you know, games in the window and games on the shelves. But in the back, in the corner was this bin of, of all these old games that, you know, they were still selling, not slowly, but they were still selling, and people were interested in them. So I was in I one know. of those bins. <laughs> Let me tell you, you don't you don't make your you don't make payroll being. Back oh no no in those no bins. no! Of course not, of course not. But it's it's I don't know some some small amount of solace that you know if your game finally tanks after five years of success. I mean, the stuff that you would find in that bin wasn't, you know, the really bad games. The really bad games never had traction. What you would find in that bin were the five-year-old copies of the current sure. the current game or that kind of thing. So it's not like it was a make or break kind of a thing, which is an opportunity to, for well, obviously for the stores to get rid of their physical inventory, which is not an issue here, but it's also an opportunity for the game manufacturer to continue to, you know, just get a little revenue from the folks that are still interested in the product. Yeah. In the past. I mean, the big, the big difference, hopefully behind the scenes is the absence maybe of publishers, although publishers always find a way back in because back then for the stores, I mean, if you were, a de- you were a developer, you had a studio and you had no way to go from studio to store. It was studio publisher store. So you had to first get a publisher who was going to publish your game. Mm-hmm. And that publisher then, they had the agreements with the stores to get it into the stores. Really studio publisher distributor store. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. So now it, it sounds like, you know, hopefully things are, um, you know, studio right to Apple Arcade. And that's how it was somewhat with Xbox Live, you know, and 
that's how hopefully it's going to be with the other systems that are coming out to compete with Apple Arcade. But, you know, definitely for the App Store, you know, that was the amazing thing that, you know, the mobile app stores were direct. Actually, so I had games in mobile app stores before the iPhone, before, um, before there were smartphones. There were what feature phones, I guess is what they were called. And you could get these games. And there was a very limited number of games that you could get. And I had a few games for those phones. And it was a really weird, long <laughs> chain from me, the original developer of the game, to the phone. I never talked to like anybody at like back then it was Nokia and Motorola. I never talked to a single person or saw a single document that had the name Nokia or Motorola on it. I barely saw some, I think it was Qualcomm was like the distributor or something. I barely saw their name on anything, but then there was like, before that there was a publisher. And before that there was kind of like this technology company that, put things together and then there was me and and it was amazing to see my game on a like a Nokia feature phone and be like I have no contact with this company Nokia yet somehow this money is trickling down when somebody spends 99 cents on this game so it's funny one of the things you mentioned about there being you know, intermediaries publishers I think there's an opportunity that we're seeing in other venues if you take a look at um, what comes to mind for me at any rate is medium.com, right? Medium mm. is essentially a platform for publishing and anybody can go out there and start publishing their articles um, on medium. But uh, there are publications and they kind of act in this aggregator curator kind of role where if you uh, subscribe to a publication or you pay attention to a publication, however you intend to do so, you have a better sense that what you're getting has a slightly higher quality than the rest of what is being published on Medium. Um, I just, I find that an interesting parallel and I'm wondering if something like that uh, could eventually start taking place in the games, games arena. Hmm. Well, we'll see. See, I, I hope at least just, uh, as long as, Either we get better games or we get developers getting rewarded better for better games. Either one of those two outcomes is good because <laughs> either one will keep the game industry moving forward. Sure. Both would be great. Both would be best. Yeah. yeah. So, guys, does quantum computing excite you? Eh. Real quantum computing would. <laughs> <laughs> so our... our uh, Conspicuously absent fourth host, Randy, suggested the uh, story about uh, that broke today, apparently, about Google having made some strides in quantum computing, mm -hmm. which was then um, apparently quickly retracted. So because there was enough controversy with the, f the document that was found that claimed a certain accomplishment and so forth. And uh, I just, you know, I, I don't know that we're in a position to comment much on that particular document, but quantum computing to me, well, a, I don't understand it. That part's easy, right? I'm, I'm happy to admit that that's, that's the case for me. But there's so much hype around it that it really makes me wonder uh, how, to, how to separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to stories like this. And if we're not going to see a lot more stories that, because they make for great headlines, aren't immediately retracted because, oops, we were wrong. Maybe the fact that it, the story was retracted, that shows that it's working because it's considering both the states of 
There is quantum computing and there isn't quantum computing at the story same time. Story exists and doesn't exist yeah. at the same time. Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's story. <laughs> In one reality, Google actually did solve it, but mm. not this one, unfortunately. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where that all lands. I mean, the, the, the promises of quantum computing are both really, really interesting and really, really scary from a cryptography point of view. Um, you know, they claim to that if once quantum computing really happens, they'll be able to break our current best um, uh, cryptography without, without much of a problem. But um, the, the reality seems, still seems to be a ways off. Yeah, yeah. And well, I, I, I'm not that up on what quantum computing really is. I mean, my understanding is probably more the physics but and i don't really know it seems like different people think of it as different things like you know examining multiple states of data at the right. same time simultaneously yeah, yeah. That's the thing that just just i can't get my brain around that well I, so it's basically parallel processing but maybe i'm guessing without multiple cores you know so instead of having eight processors to do parallel processing you just have one quantum processor and it could take into account multiple states i'm that's what my my theory is what what it is they're going for but somebody needs to uh take quantum computing out to reddit's explain it like i'm five subreddit and see what uh <laughs> yeah. what kind of result yeah it's kind of like the cold fusion of uh computing right yes, yes. yeah it's like the thing that people everybody's convinced will get to Every once in a while, somebody says they got it, only to be like, no. So, never mind, that wasn't it. Yeah. So, this is a little bit of a downer, but I wanted to remind everybody um, I had a, a, um, an unexpected death in my circle of acquaintances this last week. And one of the things that's come to mind or come, become apparent is that um, digital information, the preparation for that wasn't really, um, there was no preparation for that. Uh, certain accounts, uh, currently the Facebook account is something that, that we're kind of a little concerned about. Um, you know, th- there's, no, there's no clean handoff to, to a caretaker, uh, someone who can do that. So I just want to throw a reminder out to um, all of our listeners, and, and you guys for that matter as well, if you haven't, although you probably have, mm-hmm. um, that um, you know, the keys to your digital kingdom are something you want to make sure that uh, you know, they are available should something happen and it doesn't have to be death. It can be, you know, any kind of illness or incapacitation. That's something that I've written about occasionally on ask Leo. The stories that I hear are very similar to the one that I'm kind of sort of experiencing right now. And there's just not a lot you can do. The very same um, roadblocks they put in the place, you know, in place to prevent hackers from gaining access to your account um, essentially apply to you as well, unless you've got some other way in. So, don't want to dwell on that, but just wanted to serve as a reminder for folks that uh, please, for the sake of, of your family and your loved ones, um, have some kind of a plan for your digital life. It's so much that's digital these days. It's, uh, it's worth making sure it can get handed off. Yep. So uh, let's see. Streaming. Streaming. Speaking of death. Oh, this is a horrible, what? horrible what? transition. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh oh, the Emmys. Yeah. Well, no, actually, oh, no, I was going to. No. I was going to talk Streaming about. News. Oh, we could. Okay, yeah. Streaming Disney Disney Plus is is coming online, and I signed up for them. But was well, more interesting. 
um, is that other networking other networks are paying just huge huge money to for streaming rights for things to things like Friends or Big Bang Theory. It's the other one that made the big news this week. Um, HBO is paying something like half a billion dollars for the streaming rights to Big Bang Theory. Um, which, by the way, I realized a couple of years ago that Big Bang Theory really is Friends in another generation. Sure. That's all it really is. Hmm. Um, it just amazes me that that kind of money is at play here. We've got a couple of articles on it. It starts out with Seinfeld coming to Netflix, but the reason Seinfeld is coming to Netflix is because um, it's something like Friends, which is apparently a big, big streaming juggernaut, um, is leaving Netflix uh, to go to HBO Max, a new streaming service from HBO that we're probably all going to end up having to pay for because we'll want the <sighs> HBO offerings and that'll be the only place that they're offered. Uh, we've talked about streaming before and how complicated it's getting and how, how, you know, how many services are we going to have to sign up for? Mm. So, yeah. How many are you guys signing up for? I just signed up for Disney plus today. I got the invite. It's not even online yet, but I got the invite for, you know, getting there. A few years ago, we were, many of us, including me, were complaining. It's like, why I'm paying for cable. I've got 105 channels and I only you know, want to watch five of them. And why can't I just subscribe to the channels I want? Well, that, that's what's happening now. It's because no, it's, it's this, no, it is. No, it's not. This is yeah, exactly. So. Be careful what your ask for situation. You sign up for your CBS. <laughs> you sign up for your Disney. You sign up for your your NBC Peacock and 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 your Netflix or your Hulu. And so you're subscribing to five things and paying hundred dollars a month instead of paying one hundred twenty dollars a month to to. Uh, I fully expect that by the time all this is done and I actually get to watch all the shows I want to watch, I will probably end up paying more than my cable bill right now. Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just looking and uh, the, the preview that you signed up for for Disney Plus, uh, unfortunately, is not the, the good deal. The good deal which is the Disney Plus Hulu Right. Uh, which combo. I explicitly, I explicitly elected not to do simply because I, um, um, I already have Hulu. Yeah. But don't you want to combine them? So you only pay one price. The Hulu that they offer is the ad version. Oh. And I pay for the non ad version. So isn't there going to be a Disney plus Hulu non ad version? They have, they haven't said they've explicitly said that their combo is the ad version. It's Disney is like, probably an extra ad version. I mean, that's fine. I'll pay, I'll pay a couple dollars on top of that to get the <laughs> ad-free version of Hulu. Um, I know. But- it, it, it's funny because we, um, I think I mentioned this last week or the week before, we um, had Hulu because they had that wonderful $1 a month offer last uh, December. And we've been using it occasionally and it's been the ad version, but there was a show we started watching over the summer, Veronica Mars, which is only on Hulu. Yes, that, that's I'm watching that right now on yep, Hulu. Yep. And I didn't realize it came out. I, I got so tired of a certain insurance company's advertisements that I basically, after two episodes, looked at my wife and said, I will pay money to make those go away. And <laughs> that's exactly what I did. I upgraded the account, which no doubt was their plan all along, right? Well, sure. Uh, with, that, with that $1 a month um, offer. But the ads were, for whatever reason, they were so repetitive and they were so annoying that um, I just, I just, couldn't stand it anymore. 
I appreciate that plant, the plan to get you to, you know, to give you something, <laughs> but you're getting, you're getting what you want. I mean, you know, you're not like, oh, they're forcing me to pay extra and I don't really even want it. It's like, nope, I want no commercials. <laughs> I will pay extra. Oh, they're letting me pay extra. Great. Right. Um, the, the, the part that has me most concerned right now, and the reason I think we really are going to be signing up for way more than we're paying for today, um, even if you discount the, the ad-free versions, even if you don't do the upsell, um, is that a lot of the streaming services are doing exactly this. You can get Veronica Mars, the most recent um, series, season of Veronica Mars, only on Hulu. You can get... Um, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and, and whatever the big winner was last night, only on Amazon Prime. And you can get you know, something else only on Netflix. And you can get Disco Star Trek Discovery only on CBS All Access. And by the time you've got all of these onlys, what you've signed up for is half a dozen or more different services, not because you wanted everything that service offers, but because you wanted one show. Right. Hmm. Well, watch a show and then... GTFO. I miss, I miss LimeWire. You can just download what you wanted, <laughs> steal it, watch I, it. <laughs> I, I, hear, I hear there are technologies that allow you to still do that, but yeah. yeah. I understand. I understand well, the HBO Max here is going to have not only Friends and Big Bang Theory and all the CW shows, uh, but will be the exclusive home to Doctor Who. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So see, now I got to sign up for it, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm just wondering. So I have HBO now, which is more expensive than any of the other ones, right? Just for regular HBO. Right. Um, and so will HBO Max, do I have to pay for HBO and HBO Max? I'm hoping HBO Max is true to its name. Yes. And I have the maximum <laughs> amount H of HBO. Is HBO Max compatible with your iPhone 11 Max? Yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> but by the way, that reminds me, the one thing I did with Disney Plus, that I bought it completely on faith. I don't think they've said which devices they're supporting. Uh, no, I think they have. I certainly didn't see it. Because there was a thing, I think, where it's going to be on Apple TV. You know, Apple's will got it, a weird... Will it be on my Xbox One is what I care about. Oh, well. Can't tell you that. But um, I, you know, Apple's got a weird relationship with Disney. And always has, um, you know, at now, times. Apple has a weird relationship really with close. everyone. Yeah. Well, I mean, at times, because there was that story out this week, I guess, where, you know, somebody had said uh, that if Steve Jobs were still alive, at this point, Disney and Apple would have merged. Because, of course, Steve Jobs owned a huge chunk of Disney when Disney bought Pixar. So he was already like the largest single shareholder at the time of his death. Um, and Apple and Disney already did tons of stuff together. And every time Apple did something, you know, whether it was music or, or whatever, Disney was always the first, uh, to sign up or to collaborate on something. Interesting. Um, like when iTunes, you know, movie rentals and stuff, it's like all the Disney stuff was there, you know? So there was a, this close relationship, but then now of course it's strained because, uh, the CEO of Disney had a step off of Apple's board. That's another thing. The CEO of Disney was on Apple's board, right? So he had to step down because Disney Plus and uh, Apple TV Plus are direct competitors. And he was right. already excusing himself from the meetings where they talked about the TV service. So, yeah. So it looks like I'm going to need Hulu and Disney Plus and Netflix and Amazon, which is like free because I'm really getting Amazon Prime for the shipping. And then... Uh, CBS uh, All it, Access. It, 
I, no, I, I have not sold on that. I've that's been around, and I still haven't had a need for that. But I know oh. you can do it for Star Trek, and then yeah. uh, HBO Max is probably going to be a uh, a must have, uh, and it's a no brainer if it really is HBO Max because I'm already paying fifteen dollars a month for HBO for some reason. Right. Um. So, matter of fact, I'd like to be able to take that away from Directv, which I have now, and of course, Directv is also in flux because. Rumors are that AT&T wants to dump it. Um, if that happens, I, I would claim that that's probably the, the beginning of the end. Not that we're already there, but the beginning of the end for DirecTV. As a, well, as a yeah, I, th- I think it really is. Uh, well, there'll probably be, hope, well, at this point, the government should just let them merge with Dish Network. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, okay, wh- what's the point of trying to create right. a competitive environment for two satellite TV providers for dying technology, that, that are yeah. not launching any new satellites, right? Yep. They've got 10 years max, let them merge and they can put their customer bases together and at least uh, not have to deorbit those satellites early. And, um, and then we'll all be, you know, uh, you know, we'll wean ourselves off of these. It's, it's funny. I, I don't know if I've mentioned it here before, when I first moved into this house, we didn't have cable and, um, but what they had was the old uh, three-meter, 10-foot uh, satellite dish. Like free-to-air dish? Yes. Yeah, yes. Nice. Although there, were in, there was, in fact, a subscription service where you could actually uh, sign up for, much like you sign up for DirecTV these days, uh, to gain access to a certain number of channels that were, in fact, encrypted over the air. Hmm. But uh, So you'd get a box, much like your DirecTV DVR, except it wasn't a DVR. And, uh, you know, be able to watch all sorts of random things off the satellite, plus all everything you could find um, direct to air. Didn't we used to know a guy who published a, a directory for satellite stuff for those be. giant dishes? Yeah. There certainly was one. Um, I certainly paid attention to it back in the day because yeah. uh, I was, you know, what these big set, what these big dishes were, were capturing was that back in the day, like we're talking 20 years ago now, the, uh, the networks would transmit uh, their shows, typically mm-hmm. the syndicated shows, to receiving stations over the satellite unencrypted. Mm-hmm. So that meant that depending on the show, you could capture it like the day before it aired in your, in your market. Right. Um, and sometimes uh, with commercials, more frequently without commercials, and if it was really good, it'd be uh, without commercials and the spaces where the commercials would be inserted was uh, compressed. So mm-hmm. there was no, you know, you weren't looking at a blank screen for five minutes while they ran five minutes of commercials. Right. I also said there were just like weird channels that were unencrypted where, where there would be like uh, the, the military would just like, he, here's like a, a podium where, you know, twice a week we give uh, yes. pr- press conferences and they just leave it running all the time. And here's just like flags waving and an empty podium. I, I believe um, that's happened not just for the military, but for government or politicians as well, because I think that that's how a number of political gaffes were originally uh, captured uh, in that you know, somebody didn't realize that the microphone and the camera were always hot and always being transmitted to these satellites for distribution. And, you know, some politician will get up there and say something stupid. And, oh, by the way, you know, yeah. Joe in the middle of Iowa happened to be recording that. <laughs> Um, and, and sure enough, it made the press. If, if you, if that was your, your situation, if that was your tech setup, your, whatever, your, 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 your podium, your, even your, your podcast room that was always live, wouldn't you have just like a big red light and like tape around the room saying like, you, you walk past this, you are live. Just, wouldn't you just do that just to prevent One that? One would think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, would today think. it's obvious, but the, yeah. 
in the 80s, remember when Reagan said, what was it? He was, he was on live and he said, we begin the bombing and one hour or something yeah, like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, he was just preparing for a speech and he just was just, joking. Having, yeah. just joking around, but yeah. it, it did go out over like one of those live satellite feeds or something like that. Nobody took it seriously, even for a second. Cause he was smiling and, and everything when right. he said it. But, uh, but you know, I think it was a different time. You just didn't I mean, remember the times when, uh, you know, when you first saw a camcorder and, you know, people were like, Oh, I'm on TV. Look, I could be on TV, you know? And it, it was just, it was silly. It was stupid, you know? And you still, for a few years, you know, you, you would do that the first time you're five years old, somebody record you and you're like, Ooh, I'm on the TV. And then you'd roll your eyes a year later at somebody doing the same thing. Oh, come on. You're not really on, you know, it's just a camcorder. What's your problem? But, uh, you know, people get, I don't know, it's a different, anyway, it's hard to put yourself in. The, the reason I brought up the old dish is that we went, we've been through this transition before, right? I mean, the, the big dish network was specifically, um, very useful for folks that were isolated, folks that didn't have cable, folks that didn't have any of the options. And uh, they would, they basically had to find other options. And that's what ultimately led us to switch to something like DirecTV, um, which we've had ever since. And I'm sure that if DirecTV ends up going downhill, then yep, we'll be making the transition again. I don't know what it's going to look like. I mentioned last week, I'm most concerned about uh, the uh, the usability across multiple devices in a single home, but that's a usability issue, not a distribution oh, yeah. issue. I don't think, I mean, I, I think we do know what it's going to look like. It's going to be all the streaming stuff. It's going to be just your different apps and different things. The usability is already much better. I have DirecTV now. I can watch DirecTV on exactly four screens in my house. They have an app doesn't work <laughs> i mean it's it's really bad it's just a bad you could watch like stuff you don't want to watch like i guarantee you find a station that has nothing interesting on and it works fine on the app find the station that has the thing on that you want to watch and it will not work it's just a really crappy app and i think they developed it probably with a lot of enthusiasm a few years ago and now that they know they're doomed they're like we're not you know we have one developer that's part-time on this um and, you know, and it does bug me that, like, I can't watch, I, have, I pay all this money for DirecTV, I can't watch it in my office. I have a million screens in my office, but I can't watch it because the app doesn't really work well, and the website really doesn't work very well. I have to go and watch it on TV. And if I want to watch it on one TV in-house that doesn't have a DirecTV box, nope, sorry, going to have to move one of the DirecTV boxes to it to watch, and it just seems very old-fashioned to me. Whereas mm -hmm. Netflix, it's like... Netflix, I can watch anything. I could, I could watch it on every screen in my office. Like, literally, every screen on my computer, I could put Netflix on. Every, uh, my laptop, I've got two iPads sitting on my desk, and my phone, and my old phone, all of those things will play Netflix. No problem. Mm -hmm. And the same with Hulu and any other app that I want. Yeah, Netflix is, I've heard the Hulu app is pretty terrible um, as well. But uh, as long as we're talking television, I want to mention uh, what my wife, my, my wife and I have been watching. Um, uh, we've been watching on Netflix Glow, uh, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, which is not a show I would ever pick out, and nor her, but heard it was good, and we have been totally binging the show. Uh, it was three seasons are on Netflix, and it was just renewed for a, a fourth season. It's written by uh, Genji Cohen, who uh, does uh, Weeds, and, who did the show Weeds, and also uh, Orange is the New Black. Um, just 
very well written. Uh, this person who who does great female characters and uh, just knows how to write and really been enjoying uh, Glow. That's timely because I'm uh, binging Weeds right now. So, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah. Good. Cool. Just yeah, we watched Weeds uh, as it was aired um, and uh, enjoyed it most of the time. I found over the, the whole arc of it, it was kind of uneven, but uh, certainly... It is a, a little uneven, and, and every once in a while I have to rem- remind myself it was before Breaking Bad because you'll watch right. something and say, hey, this rips off Breaking Bad. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this was several years before Breaking Bad. They mm-hmm. ripped this show off. Okay. Uh, but uh, cool. Yeah. Well, speaking of shows, shows. Uh, speaking of streaming, uh, I did want to point out that uh, so I watched the Emmys on Sunday night. Right? Mm-hmm. Enjoy award shows sometimes, and uh, and of course, uh, playing a little game to see how many you know network tele you know television networks won awards, and uh, basically television networks were pretty much shut out. Um, it was all let's see, HBO won nine. Amazon Prime won seven. Netflix won four. Mm. Um, they were the big winners. The only network to actually even get multiple Emmys, you know, uh, for, on that night was NBC, and they got it for the same episode of Saturday Night Live in two different categories. Huh. Uh, so basically, it's all um, it's all the streaming stuff. I mean, that's where the good television is being made now. Um, even so some I've- of the have either of you watched Fleabag? No, loved but it. I'm loved interested. It, loved it, loved it. I'm interested yeah, after winning all those Emmys. It's awesome. It, it really is. And it's really disappointing that it's done. <laughs> right? It kind of leaves you at the end saying, but, 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 but I want more. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a, a quick, so when I was out of town, uh, my wife watched Fleabag and she loved it and she, A, wanted to watch it again uh, and wanted me to see it. So, uh, fine so we sat down to watch it and start with the first episode of course and she was two things happened during that first episode one i didn't like the show and two she hadn't seen that episode somehow when she started watching it (laughs) she she started on episode two um and i was just like i I don't know what you're seeing in the show i i'm not gonna go on she's like no you you have to keep watching at least watch episode two and then and and then by the end of episode two i was hooked so my my only thing to say for for uh fleabag is is maybe um just maybe you don't want to watch episode one or, or just don't judge the book get through ever. get through episode one yeah. What's I bizarre? Hear that a lot. go ahead oh i hear that a lot with shows like uh well i think even with weeds too i the only thing that kept me going through the first few episodes was the fact that I knew the show was really critically acclaimed and lots of people liked it. So I was like, it's got to get better. And it, and it did. It was really uneven in the first season. And then yeah. by, you know, then I was hooked. And I even remember also Mad Men too, when I binge watched that, like, you know, a couple of years ago, I didn't watch it during the original run, but uh, it, it was also like, I heard that the first season's uh, probably the, you know, the weakest one just but get through it <laughs> so i did and got through that and then of course it's, it's one of my all-time favorite shows what's, so. what's mm-hmm. funny about fleabag is that we were both hooked like five minutes into the first episode mm-hmm. um there's such a non sequitur that opens it up that just okay yep yep this mm-hmm. is our kind of humor <laughs> so cool. 
Yep. See, there's lots of great television. It's the golden age or the platinum age or whatever. I, I'm convinced that this is like uh, some great TV shows. So and are I think, either of you watching uh, Mrs. Maisel? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, sure. Yeah. So uh, when's the new season, new season starting about now, right? Or soon? It's soon, yeah. It's, it's really fun. soon, yeah. But yeah, I love that show. I was hooked on that the very first. I'm, I'm just down for that show for the, the, the set dressing. Man, they, they, whoever's doing that is getting their money's worth. Yeah, mm. they're doing it. Um, it's just the, the, the sets and, and the, the, the costumes on that show are incredible. Yeah, well, Hollywood is really getting good at um, doing period, kind of modern period pieces. Mm-hmm. Right. They've always been good at, you know, oh, it's a French Revolution. Right. You know, but who, yeah. who's who's around to say, hey, that's not accurate. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but nowadays, like, you know, the, these shows, you know, they could do a show and it, it takes place in the 50s in New York and the Catskills mm-hmm. and all that. And it's like amazing. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Sure. Uh, some of those shots. And did you guys see that movie? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did not. It, some of the shots in that are just incredible because it takes place in 1969 in L.A., and you're used to seeing like they'll do a period movie like that and there'll be one scene where the camera pans down a street and somehow they got it to be like all the cars are the right period and the skyscrapers that aren't there yet are gone and all that and they do it for like one minute and all right that we blew our whole special effects budget (laughs) um we're not going to do that again but hey we proved to you that this is taking place and there's none of that here like there are super long sequences over and over again that like, are just, it's shot in that old old part of Hollywood that, that, that LA that's just looks like that. I is guess. It? So my, my question really is, I mean, one of the things we know from all of the, you know, superhero and sci-fi movies is that mm. Hollywood has a really, really good A game when it comes to CGI, right? That yeah. has really they've really taken it to to an incredible level. And of course, we always think about it when it comes to things like, you know, the superhero movies and the 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 sci-fi movies and so forth. But you got to believe they're they're throwing it at movies like this as well. So my wonder is how much of a movie like, you know, the, the one you just mentioned in Hollywood or even uh, Mrs. Maisel, how much of that show is being shot in front of green screens or partial green screens to uh, basically reduce what would end up being the physical cost of trying to set up an actual environment. Right. To getting getting licenses to shoot outside and... and All that stuff, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Feed yeah. And, yeah, I think a lot of it, I mean, I think they try to do when they have the budget, you know, to actually get the right cars in there and get the right, you know, costumes on people and stuff as much as they can and do as little as they can in CGI. I think it's great that they spend the money on that because, you know, the studios can see return, you know, when they want a spaceship to come in and blow up the White House on Independence Day. It's like they could see that money being spent on the screen right there. Right. You know, and they, it's the money shot. Look at that. We'll put that in the trailer. It's going to be great. But when they just say, oh, we just want, uh, you it's know. A, it's a lot less sexy to have a cell phone tower removed from a shot. Yeah. <laughs> we just want to, yeah. And we just want somebody, we just want somebody walking down the street and we just want to make sure it's the old, you know, stores that are there and, you know, the old cars and things look right. You know, but we want to spend that. That shot's going to cost like half a million dollars. You but know, here's the thing: I don't think it costs. Well, I'm, I'm sure that it costs a lot of money, and I don't know what the real numbers are. But the thing is, it costs a hell of a lot less than it used to, 
And I think it really is becoming competitive with, with what you were just mentioning, Kevin, having to get the, the, the licenses to shoot a specific area, to be able to shut down traffic, to be able to you know, dress that set, so to speak. Um, that's not inexpensive either. So I'm just thinking that CGI is becoming a viable alternative for a lot of that stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. What was that movie from years ago? Sky Captain, The World of Tomorrow. The entire movie was shot green screen. Hmm. I don't remember there, that. There one. were no actual sets. I'm waiting for the ones where there will be no actual actors. Yep. Well, yeah, it's called a Pixar film. <laughs> oh, well, no, 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 no. I mean, that actually looks yeah. human, right? The, the, the moral equivalent of a deep fake movie. Well, they tried that a lot. You know, they did try the photorealistic, you know, animation with a sci-fi movie. And that was, it was like 20 years ago or so. Um, I think it's, I think there's like a little bit of a gap just to try to get that final bit. Well, even now we do, when we do complete CGI, like, you know, Lord of the Rings, I mean, there's still actors that they're, they're capturing. So at what point, you know, do you say we could do this all CGI, but we still need to do motion capture to get the expression right. Well, it's like, well, why not, you know, it's like, okay, well, so why have, why have Brad Pitt in a suit so you can capture him and then put Brad Pitt on the screen? Actually, I saw a trailer for a movie and I, the name escapes me. Uh, the Will Smith movie, and it has Will Smith fighting younger Will Smith. And oh, they're using de aging technology. Last man on Earth. Yeah, is that what it is? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, they're using de aging technology, and on the trailer, at least, yeah, that looks like the Will Smith of 20 years ago. Uh, and it's it would be very very difficult, certainly in the in the, the the pace of a movie that keeps you guessing. I'm sure if you were able to freeze frame it and analyze a single shot, it'd yeah. be different. But in this in the scope of a movie, it's pretty darned impressive. And but yeah, yeah I, of course, of course, that's all um, um, CGI. Well, yeah, but I bet you there's an actor there. Like, I mean, oh, yeah, like, Will Smith. they did with. Well, yeah, but with, yeah, it's for, they could just do Will Smith. But like with uh, Peter Cushing and and the uh, Star Wars movies, right? You know, and uh, yeah, I mean, they had an actor playing him, but then they use CGI to actually. Gemini Man. Him. Gemini Man was the movie. Gemini Man. Yeah, yeah. Last Man on Earth is a TV show. I was completely wrong. Yeah, that, uh, that's a. I was thinking of I Am Legend and said Last Man on Earth. No, but the answer that's is not really, it. Yeah. The answer <laughs> is Gemini Man. <clears throat> <sighs> so, Golden Age like of Movies awesome. now, too. Golden Age of TV, Golden Age of Movies. No, I'm not, not sure. Well, I, yeah. I don't think it's the golden age of movies. I, I think it's the golden age of TV and, and long format storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, having a story told. Like, I, I think, what if you came out with a show now and it was like, okay, it's going to be half hour episodes and everyone's a complete new story. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that's old fashioned, right? It's got to be a season, got to be a season arc and a series arc. And it has to, you know, and, tell this and, long story. It yeah. works. We will watch things in half hour chunks that add up to like eight hours yeah. that we would never sit still for eight hours. Oh no, yeah. Someone releases a eight hour movie in three parts or something and just like, <laughs> no, hell no, I'm not going to that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But on the other hand, if they, if they release all of the episodes at once on Netflix, oh yeah, we'll binge it over eight mm-hmm. hours. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and also crazy. one, one last Emmy note is we talked about the Netflix uh, Black Mirror episode, Bandersnatch. Yes, uh, right. that uh, choose your, your own adventure. Version. That that won the uh, won an Emmy last night. Or, Do you yes, recall I mean, what it was for? Uh, what did Bandersnatch win? Hold on, I will tell you in a second. Yeah, uh, I would assume it's some kind of a technical. It, it was a big one. It was outstanding television movie, non technical. Oh wow! Outstanding television movie. Huh. Bandersnatch won against Brexit, Deadwood, King Lear, and 
uh, my dinner with Hervé. So, um, yeah, so that was recognized for being cool. for, uh, not even the technical part of it. It's, it's interesting. You're right about those story arcs. They're just, you know, unless it's a sitcom, um, so many of the shows these days are all about story arcs. We well, what, just, even sitcoms. What's, some of them. How, many, how many sitcoms are there now? There, that's true. There, there's not many. <laughs> and there will often, I mean, there will, the, the episodes will stand alone, but there's like 20% of a story arc across the entire season. Sure. Yeah. yeah I think Big right. Bang Theory is probably one of the last big, you know, long sitcoms. I know there's a couple still on that are like, right. have a few seasons under their belt, but. And there are some that are being previewed for this season that I look at and say, yeah, no. those aren't going to happen good luck with those um we just finished watching of all things something called trapped on i think it was i can't get i don't even know now if it's netflix or amazon prime i think it's netflix it's actually um, a standard i shouldn't call it standard it's a murder mystery type thing cop show set in iceland and it's actually recorded in icelandic um, but it's an eight episode story arc or 10 episode story arc. It's actually really well done. Uh, we were concerned that subtitles would be a problem for us, uh, but it wasn't. We ended up being, being really engaged, not only by the beauty of the scenery out there, but by the story. The story is well told. Um, but uh, the comment about there being a story arc, that's exactly what this was. It was 10 one hour episodes, well, 44 minute episodes, that um, all together told a very compelling and very interesting story. And I actually like that because it does give the storytellers, the directors and so forth, so much more room to tell their stories. Mm. It really does. The only thing that they are forced into doing is to basically giving you a cliffhanger every 45 minutes, mm. right? So that you do come back. For the yeah, next but episode. writers and books have been doing that for a long time. True. You know, so it's not a purely a television thing, Right. Um, yeah, so. Well, on that note, we're going to keep you hanging. Oh, man, I was just getting interested. Yeah, well, <laughs> stay tuned for next week's episode. I think we'll call this to one be good. Continued. Yeah, to be continued. <laughs> <laughs> same bat time, same bat podcast. All right, the show notes for this week are tehpodcast.com slash teh81. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you again next week. Bye. Bye.